Hello, everybody. This is Shane Douglas Keene, and I am joined tonight by, well, today by the time you hear this, but tonight by uh, Rich Duncan and our guest host, Laurel Hightower. Um, and we are talking to Samantha Kolyesnik, uh, author of the forthcoming True Crime, which uh, if you haven't pre-ordered that, you should ASAP. Uh, how are you doing, Rich and Laurel? Pretty good. Doing good. Uh, Samantha, sorry. Yeah. For for uh, people listening who don't know who Samantha Kolyesnik is, could uh, you tell us a little bit about you and your history? And Sure, absolutely. Uh, first, thank you so much for having me um, on your podcast. This is actually my first podcast interview about the book, so I really appreciate it. Um, in terms of about me, I am one of the co-founders of the Women in Horror Film Festival. I'm a horror film director and screenwriter, and um, I've been doing that for several years now. And True Crime is my first book, and it's coming out January 15th from Grindhouse Press. One of our, uh, one of our very favorite presses grindhouse those guys uh, know what they're doing yeah yeah i think we we talked about them quite a bit uh last week you know yep. in general yep yeah they've been incredible to work with i was reflecting on that today i mean cv hunt um who owns it i don't think there's been a single email i've sent her that she hasn't responded to within 24 hours which is pretty incredible actually uh it's really incredible yeah yeah um Sometimes when I'm dealing with editors and other people I'm writing with, I'll get a response two weeks later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's especially impressive, too, because, like, they they release, it seems like, a lot of books every year, and they have, you know, uh, quite a few authors. And I was just um, wondering, you know, how did you... How did you uh, meet the folks from Grindhouse? Was it just kind of like uh, during like a blind submission period or had you like met them prior to that, like maybe in person at like a con or something? Yeah. So I actually I don't think I would have submitted to Grindhouse or even known about them if it weren't for another filmmaker. His name is Mike Lombardo. Um, Maybe you guys know him. I'm not sure. But he's yeah. a really close friend of mine. And after I finished, I was working on True Crime for an ungodly amount of time for such a slim book. But I was working on it for over two years. And by the time I finished, I really didn't think anybody would read it. And um, Mike, you know, he wanted he asked me, he's like, so you're going to let me read it, right? <laughs> I was like, so you mean you want to read this? He's like, yeah, I want to read your book. So um, Mike and I are really close. And we've exchanged a lot of short fiction uh over the past year and stuff. So he read it and, you know, he called me and he was like, this is really good. He's like, I really think you should submit to Grindhouse. And, um, that's how I found out about them. So I, I actually went to scares that care and, uh, on his recommendation and I met uh, CV hunt there and Brian Keen, um, was kind enough to do an introduction as well with them. And I submitted through their, their regular, you know, they happened to have an open submission call at the time, which was very fortunate. And I submitted, and um, I guess they liked it. So that you know, the rest is history, so to speak. Um, speaking of Brian, yeah, uh, he had pretty 
pretty high praise for true crime, um, comparing it to uh, J.F. Gonzalez's Survivor and Jack Ketchum's The Girl Next Door. You know, and had that come out of anybody else's mouth, I would have been, yeah, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But but Brian doesn't say stuff like that lightly. You know, if he says something like that, he means it. And he's a good he's a good judge of of good writing. So I'm yeah, I'm I'm just incredibly grateful, uh, you know, for his support for the blurb, um, you know, that he. Uh, that we, that's on the cover of True Crime. Um, you know, I'm 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 grateful in like a in a twofold kind of way. One because it's Brian Keene, so it's just incredible and amazing. You know that he you know read it and that he blurbed it. But secondly, uh, I think it's just such a concise way to have a trigger warning without having a trigger warning. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what yeah. I. W- I was telling someone the other day because they said they had read Survivor, but um, nobody had warned them how graphic and how disturbing it could be. And uh, it's kind of like, yeah, but, you know, the name J.F. Gonzalez is kind of a trigger warning. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I just thought, you know, I thought, wow, thank you so much, Brian, because this pretty much says, you know, trigger warning, all the triggers in in so many words. And it just it really helped me out in that regard, too. So I'm I'm really uh, just really grateful for his for his blurb there. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that that really does. Yeah, I mean, that's super applicable because it doesn't give anything away, you know, as far as the as far as anything in the plot goes. But um, yeah, that's awesome. And that's interesting to hear that you got that whole thing kind of set up at Scares That Care as well. Was that the first time you had been to that? That was the first time. Yeah, I, I typically go to film festivals. So I felt a little bit like a fish out of water because I don't know any you know horror authors. And so this is my first time uh, being at Scares That Care. I was really impressed and in awe of how many authors were there. And how many, you know, indie presses were there. I mean, I bought a ton of books and I really, I I was regretful that I couldn't buy more books. I mean, going into next year, I want to have a, like a whole book budget, a book buying budget before I go, because I would have bought three times the number of books if I really had a good grasp of how many authors were going to be there. And I mean, they market it well. It was totally my fault. I just hadn't done the research. I showed up and I went, oh my gosh, I want to buy every single book here. And I I can't, you know. (laughs) I need a bigger budget and three more suitcases. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, legitimately, yes. And I'm just not used to that because going to film festivals, it's, it's really, it's all about the films and, you know, you're sitting in a theater and it feels more of, you know, typically more of like an industry um, event. There usually aren't authors there, but this was, um, this was a really cool experience. I'm, I'm really looking forward to returning. Yeah, I've always heard great things about Scares of Care. I haven't been there yet, but um, I know for like a lot of writers, you know, that's one of their favorite cons, um, you know, because too, it, it, they raise money and stuff. Uh, but also it's kind of it, it has like a more laid back atmosphere from what I've heard. Um, like it's kind of more of like a fun get together type of thing. Yeah, I was there. I think I was only there for about 24 hours because I had to drive. Um, But yeah, it it did feel laid back. It felt very friendly, very welcoming. 
Um, I got to sit in on a, a reading by, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce his name, I think, John Urbansick and Bob Ford. And that was really fun because I don't think I've been to a reading in many years, if ever. Um, so it was just, it was a lot of fun. It was eye-opening. It was a good experience. I can confirm that you got Bob Ford's name right. <laughs> um. <laughs> At least I'm fifty percent there. <laughs> but I mean, I I give you uh, kudos for trying to say John's name. I appreciate that because I'm not going to. I think it's right. It might be Urban Sick. Um, but he he had a really cool uh, project that he was reading from. It was it was like a choose your own adventure book there, which. I thought it was so neat. Like, um, I, I never really thought about that as like in literature. It kind of reminded me of what was that that show on uh, Netflix, the Bender Snatch with Black Mirror Bandersnatch. I'm yeah. calling that wrong. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what it was called, Bandersnatch. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like that, but in book form. So it was interesting. Yeah. Um. Just out of curiosity, like, is that something he has coming out, or is it already out? Because I've read one thing like that, and um, I believe it was in the gutted anthology. It was like a Paul Tremblay short story. It was kind of set up like that for like the ebook, especially like you could click on it and kind of take different paths. Yeah, it's called uh, "Haunted House is a Wheel Upon Which Summer Broken," right? That, that sounds one? about right. Yeah. I think that's the one. I've got the. I, there aren't page numbers on this book. I have the book Growing Things, and it's in there. I read it, and yeah, it's very much a choose your own adventure thing, and it was the first experience I ever had with it. Yeah, I don't know. You know, um, to answer your question, I don't know if that's something he has coming out or not. I mean, he just did a brief reading at Scares, and it was the audience had so much fun with it. I mean, it was it was very interactive uh, you know um because he was throwing out questions to the audience and obviously the the plot changes depending on you know which answers you choose so that would be something you know you'd have to ask him but oh that's cool cool. yeah yeah so uh sam you had mentioned that you had uh like this is your first your first uh book release but that you had worked in film uh for a few years and I'm, I always like to ask people that kind of have experience in different in writing for, you know, different types mm-hmm. of media, whether it be film or books, you know, is there any kind of overlap? Like, did you take anything that you learned from like writing screenplays and apply it when you sat down to write true crime? Hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I don't know. I think there's overlap in terms of promoting and marketing that that kind of thing um and i think having you know several years of indie film under my belt helped me with helped me dive in to the promotion aspect of having a book um because you know when you're with when you're doing indie film and you have a, you know, a short film, it's very similar to kind of having a book with an indie press and that like you, nobody's going to promote your book harder than you are. And so I, I've been treating promotion of true crime and with that regard to where every day I've been trying to kind of touch the promotion of it or, you know, uh, whether it's contacting a new reviewer or, you know, posting on social media, that kind of thing. I think there's overlap there in terms of the actual creative process. 
Uh, I don't think there's a lot of overlap simply just because film is so highly collaborative to whereas writing prose is, um, at least for me, it was a very solitary endeavor and uh, just, just a completely different process for me. Nope. Yeah, that that makes that makes a lot of sense because um, we haven't really had too many authors that have had experience in you know both areas. But um, I like read um, is a Crystal Lake book. I forget what the name is. Maybe like where nightmares come from. And you know it was kind of cool to see there was an article in there from another author who also had like a film experience and kind of talked about like you know the differences in the process and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um filmmaking feels so much like a team effort uh to me. It's just there's so many people involved um to make even a short film that it's it's a really interesting collaborative experience. To whereas yeah. with me, you know, writing a book, it was more just like, you know, being alone and it's it's a very like solitary emotional experience. Which is, yeah, I think that's the case for a lot of authors. What would you say about that, Laurel? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking when you were talking about that, because it's, you know, and I know that you guys have collaborated on some stuff and and I've read some really cool collaborations. I'm just still trying to wrap my mind around how that would go, because I'm I'm the same way. Mine tends to be pretty solitary and Samantha in particular, I mean, as, as you said, like this is, you know, kind of a solitary and emotional activity in particular, I feel like what you've written here would be, um, you know, something that kind of maybe hits you hard as you're writing it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, as I've, I've, um, you know, I, I said it in the, uh, that this is horror in brief interview that they did, but, um, you know, I cried so much writing true crime um, that writing process was probably 80% pacing and crying and 20% writing. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, it worked well. That's a hell of a process that worked really well. And <laughs> honestly, honestly, I think that would have been my process with such a story too. That's a, yeah. a emotional yeah. story. Yeah. Right out of the gate, especially um, like when I, I first read it. I actually just finished it, I think, last weekend. Um, yeah, right out of the gate, it, it's a very, it's a very emotional, like, hard-hitting story. Like, right away, I was gripped by it, and I could tell that, you know, throughout that it was going to kind of take a very, a very dark path. Yeah, it, it starts, it starts dark, and it stays dark. Um, yeah. It actually, it started as a short story. This is kind of funny. It started as a short story and uh, it ended, the short story ended right when they leave the house. And I sent, I was, I was pretty happy with that short story. And I sent it off to like several literary magazines and every place rejected it, which is the norm for me. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, well, what do I, what do I do with this short story that nobody wants to read? And I was like, huh, I think I'll, work on it more. I think I'll keep writing it, you know? So I, I kept working on it. Um, and it, I expanded it, but, uh, it was, yeah, it started out as a highly rejected short story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's kind it's kind of, 
interesting, you know, because from everything I've seen, like online, it's had a very positive reaction, you know, in the horror community between all kinds of different reviewers and stuff like that. But it's interesting that, you know, it kind of had its beginnings as a short story, because now that you say that, like for me, it would have even worked for me just as a short story. But I'm glad we got to, like, see more of those characters and kind of who they are. But, you know, it's it's kind of cool because there's other stories I've heard where, you know, something got like rejected a bunch of times and then the author, you know, just kind of kept working on it. And then it eventually became something that, you know, really resonated with people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very, um, it's quite an, it's quite an experience, you know, I actually, like, I didn't even believe when, when CV had, um, CB Hunt had sent me like the acceptance from Grindhouse. I was so anxious that it would somehow fall through or it wasn't real because I'm so used to getting rejected. Like, so I, for like, like a month after that acceptance came through, I was, I was very anxious. I would call Mike all the time and I'd just be like, I don't know if this is actually happening. He's like, it's happening. What are you talking about? You know, but I just, I have, so I have hundreds and hundreds of rejection letters that I've been accruing since I was 16 or so, because I've been writing prose for a long time. So it, this was a lifelong dream of mine. And it just felt in a way almost like too good to be true. I was like, I can't believe that somebody said yes, you know? Yeah, but it's about damn time too though. I've read we read a couple of your other stories. Um online you have a few stories if anybody anybody wonders if you can write or not should just go check out your website and link to some of those stories. Oh, well thank you. Thank you very much. In particular earlier today I read um I will return. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's a pretty killer story right there. You you paint some really good imagery there. Thank you. That means a lot. I'll have to go back and check that out because yeah, I mean it's I actually just finished True Crime today and um it's I mean it when you say, you know, you couldn't believe that someone said yes, I quite frankly can't believe that anyone would have ever said no. <laughs> like yeah. This, is, yeah. Um, yeah. this is incredibly skillfully done and I can see now that you say it, like Rich was saying what you're talking about, where it could have ended as a short story right there. And that would have been like a gut punch of a well-written short story. Yeah, it would. But, but it also, you know, everything that we've gotten with the development of the novel is, I mean, I just like the the creation of, I, I don't think I've ever seen it done in such a way where like you can really see somebody's inhumanity, but you can absolutely trace where it came from. Like, you know, not that she yeah. is inhuman, but the way that she was dehumanized and how right. it affected. I've, I've just I mean, that was just like just pitch perfect. So, I'm, I mean, I'm gl- I'm gl- I'm sorry that you got a rejection, but <laughs> but oh, I ended up being, you know, what it is, because, yeah, I mean, that's that's just that expansion is fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you all for reading it. That that right there is wonderful. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, no problem. It was our pleasure. Like that was the first book I had read for 2020. And I was already excited about it. I had heard about it. Um, yeah, I was worried. That, I was worried. 
go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, like, uh, even prior to uh, you contacting Shane and I um, about reviewing it, um, I had heard good things about it and like the premise really interested me. And like, as soon as I started it, um, I was just blown away by it. And, um, you know, the Ketchum, the Ketchum comparison I felt was very accurate because I feel like your style is a little bit like his, um, where, you know, everything, I think I told Shane, I was like, it's almost like there's, there's no wasted word, like everything, you know, it's very, it's a very taut story that, you know, everything about it feels very essential. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And it's kind of, uh, I mean, it seems to be with a lot of people and I use this term loosely, um, who write splatter punk or that, you know, close to splatter punk type of literature that their language tends to be a lot more precise and concise um i always wonder is that uh because i I see that it has the effect of ramping the pace up to ridiculous speeds you know but is that the intention or is that just the style you've developed over time um i think it was very I, I think it's my style and I think it was particular to Susie's POV and how she was relaying the event ah. that happened, you know, and what it, you know, which aspects yeah. of it were notable to her and which just didn't even cross her mind. Right. Which makes a, uh, makes a lot of sense when, now that you say it, I mean, made a lot of sense before you said it. I just hadn't put it together yet. <laughs> I am curious on that, whether with your editing process, did you end up having to cut a lot from it? Or was it more a matter of like tweaking things, you know, and and, and smaller type fixes? There was a major, over the course of writing this, and again, it seems funny because it's such a slim, you know, such a slim work, but there were some major edits. The first incarnation of it, um, Susie was a very deliberate, unreliable narrator. And I just didn't think it fit. I thought it detracted from the story. So I had written about half of it with her being like a very, con- like I was conscious of how you know unreliable she was. And then I went back and I changed it and I took out like it, it had all these like asides to the to the reader um, and stuff like that. And I changed it and I made it, um, you know, I think every narrator to an extent is unreliable because we all have our own biases. Right. Like all characters have their own biases and their own yeah. experiences. But I made it um, much more reliable in terms of she you know, she very much thinks she's not trying to deceive anybody in her retelling of the events, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. She's very, yeah. She's very direct. Yeah. I'm sorry. What was that? Or I was, I was just saying she, yeah, she's very direct. Like, and that, you know, comes off as, as just very um, believable in the character that you've created. Yeah. Yeah. And Lim, Lim is a great counterpart to her, to that 
aspect of her personality because he's kind of this closed figure. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And in a in a way, and this probably will sound weird, and I don't think it's a spoiler, but personality-wise, he kind of reminds me of Michael Myers. No, that's that's interesting. I, yeah, he. You know, it's interesting. What I think is interesting is when you know I've had some early you know reviewers and readers, and there has been some discussion about whether you know I saw one reader say I felt. I felt sorry for Susie, or I felt more sorry for Susie. And then I saw another reader say, really? I felt more sorry for Lim. And that's kind of been interesting to me, people's perceptions and interpretations of their characters and how they contrast and compare with each other. Um, It's been interesting to see because I think they're very different, very different characters from each other, even though they grew up in the same household. Yeah, they are. They are. And I I mean... It's kind of Lim's role is is kind of necessary, you know, to to um, virtually Susie's survival, both while they're living in that house and after they leave that house. And um, he, uh, God, I lost my train of thought. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, but um, yeah. Uh, I, Reading my oh. notes instead of paying attention to what the hell I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like you said. I think it's kind of fascinating because I've I've seen people talk about the characters, but um, also going back to the on how you said she was kind of more of an unreliable narrator. I think the decision to like make her more direct, it kind of added to the story, and like it was something mm-hmm. that I liked because. Um, you know, at first, too, it kind of seems like Lim, he's kind of like, it seems like he would be the one that, you know, harbors maybe more darkness and is capable of more things. But really, I think it is Susie, because really, he kind of does things for Susie. And like, you kind of see her grow. And I don't think, you know, and maybe I just haven't read any, but it seems like a lot of times with books that kind of deal with this kind of subject matter it usually focuses on like you know the male character so i thought it was cool to see Susie as kind of like you know if you link them to like predators and she kind of does like when she talks to certain other people in the story i don't want to give anything away but it's almost like she's kind of like you know the apex predator yeah you know rich i think you I think you and I probably align on our, our interpretation of the character of Lim and how he compares with Susie because she, you know, she has a hard time talking about emotion and love and things. And she has a very different understanding of those things than other people. Um, but if you, yeah, at many different points throughout the book and throughout the story, the things that Lim does, they're, it's hard to say without spoiling it, but you know, there are many times when he's doing a horrible thing and she'll mention that she thought she saw him cry or she thought she saw him sad. And, you know, those types of cues and just the reason and the motive, I mean, even, even the turning point to where it right before the time shift in it, he's doing that really from a compassionate motive toward her, you know? So it's, it's interesting. It's really interesting how people like interpret the two of them. But I, I agree with you. 
Yeah, and it kind of, I mean, it really changes up the story, too, because it you go into it when, you know, I thought about the synopsis. It was kind of like I was expecting a natural born killers or Bonnie and Clyde type story. And it's really not anything of the sort. Thank you. I, I agree with you. I was actually really one of my anxieties about this story and, you know, partly the marketing and stuff, too, is just that I was worried people would be I would, was worried I would get people who would read it very surface level. And I found that actually very few people have done that. And what I mean by that is I was worried if, if I was worried people might read it surface level and just go, rah, rah, it's so cool. It's very violent, you know, and like I didn't. <laughs> Because you get people like that, and I hope I'm not like, yeah. offending any readers out there. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but you get people like that, and I know some of those people from you know, you know, the indie horror film scene and stuff. And I was like, that is not this book, and I don't want this book to be interpreted that way. Like, yeah. there's this is not there's nothing in there that is shock for shock value. There is nothing in there that I intend in any way to celebrate or glamorize the things that happen in that book. You know what I mean? So I really didn't, I wanted to stay away from, I was really hoping people just would not have that surface level interpretation to where they go, you know, crazy just about the acts, the, the some of those plot points. Does that make sense? I hope I got that across well. Like yeah, I, yeah. I, I, think, I think there's yeah. a lot more to the book than that. I hope at least, right? Like that that was the intent. Um yeah, it makes a lot of it's kind of like uh the there's a big difference between extreme horror and splatterpunk and a lot of people make the mistake of thinking they're the same thing. But in reality with splatterpunk you, the, you're reading the the story. That's their aim of the of the particular work is the story and um the shocks and the triggers and the blood and brutality is just um, a piece of the story, not what makes the story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm for me, like personally, like books I love to read and movies that I love, it's always about character. Like I have to be invested in character first before I care what happens. Absolutely. So that's, you know, like, um, that's why, like, I judge for a lot of, you know, screenplay competitions, and I get, like, a lot a lot of uh, slasher screenplays. And, man, they some of them just have really shallow characters, so it's hard for me when all hell breaks loose in the script, it's hard yeah. for me to care. I'm like, well, we've got a killer, and we've got, you know, dead characters everywhere, but I don't know Jenny from Bobby. Like, I, you know, I, <laughs> there's, no, yeah. there's no depth here. So for me, it's always, like, I really want to sink my teeth into the character before... Um, you know, the proverbial, like, all hell breaks loose so that I really care and the stakes are high. Yeah, I've seen the same thing in fiction where, so you know, there's real-life, three-dimensional, sympathetic, easy-to-care-about characters, and then there's those other characters that I think of as paper doll characters. <laughs> and that's those are those stories where every fucking character seems to have the same personality. And, <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> Yeah, they're just there for, like, cannon fodder. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, and that was, I feel like, another one of the things that was done so well with your book um, was that, yeah, I mean, the people who did end up kind of falling under their, 
under their knives and everything else were, I mean, they were created as full characters too. Even if we only saw them for a short period of time, like, I mean, you got a chance to at least see what some of their motivations were. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. And there's, um, you know, again, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but you know, there's certain characters and the relationships as like the story goes on, you know, that I, their dynamic was really, was, you know, complex and it was kind of cool to see, especially like when, you know, in the later parts of the story, like as Susie, you know, she starts to go through her own journey. Um, like some of the people that she meets and the way she interacts with them, I think that kind of played a big part in it. And, you know, the novel as a whole, it started out very heavy and kind of brutal. And, you know, that doesn't let up for the whole novel. But at the same time, you know, there's some very interesting character arcs throughout. Thank you. Yeah. Are you refer- like characters in the, the later part? Are you referring to Milton, maybe? Or Yeah. 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 <laughs> the, the older gentleman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like his interactions with Susie, like without getting too much into it. Right. That I really, really love those sections, you know, especially as you kind you come to learn more about Milton and the fact that, you know, cause they kind of bond and then kind of learning his story. I thought that part was excellent. Oh, that's cool. Thank you. Yeah, they bond kind of yeah in a in a odd sort of way, but <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. I, it's hard to describe with you know without like spoiling it, so that's yeah. why I just yeah. went with bonded. Yeah, and I don't mean in a perverted sort of way for anybody listening. No, I- <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it is. It's hard to talk about these things without like you know digging into like specific plot points. So it's yeah, interesting. Yeah, and we we try not to do that unless we start the whole thing out with, hey, we're going to spoil the fuck out of this. So, because <laughs> yeah. you know, we did that kind of with, with John Taft's uh, The Fear. The yeah. I want to read that very much. Oh, I, th- I think you'll like it, especially if you like, you know, post-apocalyptic stuff. He has a oh, yeah. he has one of the most original takes on it that I've seen in a very, very long time. Yeah, me too. I've seen yeah. so many positive things about it. So I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, his is very character driven as well. It's, he's got a lot of really great characters in that in that story. Awesome. But but another thing that makes uh, true crime so effective as as just damn good fiction is literally its willingness to to go places people don't want to look. Right, right. I I, I was reflecting on that recently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, you please continue. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, yeah, that was, I mean, basically it just, you guys, it's like you've written fiction that isn't afraid to get mean, and you're not afraid to look at the suffering and the pain that comes with living 
any sort of fucked up life, which all of them are kind of fucked up a little bit. So <laughs> they are, yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. I think you know we're at like a an interesting moment um, culturally, right? Like with art in regards to art, and I, I was reflecting on that recently because. Um, you know, I had some anxiety with, you know, this getting published. I really didn't know how people would react, um, you know, to some of the content that's in it. And I think we're in this interesting moment where I think there is a contingent of readers and, um, you know, film goers and, you know, whatever, consumers of art, right, who really want art to reflect back to them the way they want to see the world rather than how the world really is. And, I think um, I think true crime, in a way, is a very you know it is very gritty and it is realistic and I think it is part of that um, you know the place it is some of that you know the places we don't want to look at and um, it explores things that people um, don't want to have to think about generally um, but that also happen to people in real life, unfortunately. So yeah, I've just been reflecting on that in terms of, um, you know, what people want from art right now and, and how to, how to navigate that as somebody who writes dark fiction and dark screenplays. Right. And I think there's one, one big sea change I've seen with, um, dark fiction of, you know, that more brutal variety and more honest variety like that is that, uh, more and more women are reading and enjoying that work. Whereas when I was a younger man, that you know, the mean fiction like that was something that men read, but most women wouldn't wouldn't think of touching, nor would anyone try to market it to them. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's interesting. I was thinking today about um, dark fiction I read. Uh, like as a as a youth and some you know darker films. I'm a lifelong horror fan, but I didn't always necessarily read horror fiction when I was younger. I did read quite a bit of dark fiction though and transgressive fiction. Um, and even one of the one of the books that is not a direct inspiration for true crime, but like philosophically is a little bit of an influence um, for some of the ideas explored in true crime is uh, a book called called justine or i think previously it was called the misfortunes of virtue and is by the marquis de sad um and in that that was something i read like pretty young and it it's, it's incredibly dark it's incredibly dark i read it like late high school maybe early college picked it up totally at random from like a Barnes and Noble shelf and it had like an abstract cover. Like it didn't really tell you, like the cover didn't really tell you what you were in for. And it's, cl- it's classically written, but it's, it's really, really dark. And it's basically, if you haven't read it, it's, it's the gist of it is about um, this young girl who is, for, if you, if you believe in the dichotomy, right. Of like good and, and evil for, for all but intensive purposes, she's like good. Right. And she goes through this journey throughout the book and all these misfortunes befall her. And I just couldn't even believe what I was reading because it was so classically written. It was from, I think, the late 1700s. I might be wrong, but I think that's where it's from. But all these like horrible, horrible things were happening. I was so upset reading this book. I was like, man, when does the revenge come, right? Like, when does the justice come in this book? You know, I didn't really understand who the Marquis de Sade was and all that. So... (laughs) 
<laughs> right. I was just, I really just picked this up at random from Barnes and Noble. And of course, like not that, you know, cliche positive ending doesn't really happen, but it really got my brain, like the wheels in my brain turning about different, um, like philosophical ideas, you know, you know, the origins of good and evil. Is there really good and evil on this like dichotomy you know, if if a God exists, like a benevolent God exists, you know, why are all these she's a good person? Why are all these misfortunes befalling her? You know, all those things I was thinking about as I was reading this, you know, this book. And some of those same ideas happen in a bit of an inverted way in true crime, I think. But I always think back to that book because um, it's a pretty interesting philosophical study. If you can get past all of the uh, horrible things that, you know, happen in on the pages <laughs> well yeah because it's kind of like you've got um um god damn it sorry did i bore you i'm sorry i went <laughs> no, on you weren't. no actually i was very talk about dirty. this other book that's not the subject of this <laughs> no i was actually very intrigued by what you were saying um but, I lost my train of thought, and I apologize for that. No, that's fine. Um, I think it will come back to me because it was important to me, but I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Sam, um, I'm just – I was wondering because kind of going off what you said about reading that book and how it kind of maybe influenced true crime, um, like I had read – I read true crime first and then I read the two short stories you linked on your site. And it seems like your writing kind of veers more towards exploring like themes and like what I would consider like quote unquote realistic horror where, you know, it's more geared towards reality and like actual people and stuff and not necessarily like supernatural or anything like that. And I was wondering like, is that the kind of horror that you gravitate towards like maybe more, realistic or kind of dealing with like human psychology and like the darkness in people or do you kind of gravitate towards or is that just kind of what you happen to have written and you know released so far no that's that you've hit the nail on the head that is my focus um you know artistically i like to explore psychological and psychosexual themes um, in my writing. And you see like the same themes explored in my short films and screenplays as well. Um, I think humans, for me, humans are far scarier than any creature of the imagination. Um, I just, I think, you know, I, I'm a very sensitive person. Like I could watch the evening news and, and just cry. Like I just think the things that humans, um, have done historically to each other and, and even today are just some of the worst things, you know, way worse than reading about vampires or werewolves or, uh, you know, even like our, you know, some of the slasher icons like, you know, Michael Myers or something, you know, even those are kind of like exaggerated and take on a little bit of a supernatural um, kind of vibe to them. But I, I think realistic horror is so much scarier to me honestly. And I think I've always, I mean, it's like, it's kind of a human inclination. I mean, why is true crime, like actual true crime? Why is it so fascinating to people? I think because people want to understand why, right? I mean, people are so horrified and they want to understand the psychology behind it. I mean, I hope that's why people are fascinating. I hope it's not like, you know, some other reason, but I think, I think people really want to intellectually try to understand some of this stuff. Yeah, I think so too. 
Um, I spend a lot of time reading true crime, but not because I'm, you know, really inherently interested in um, the outcomes of investigations and stuff like that, just so much as I am kind of interested in, you know, what the hell is going on in these people's heads when they do these things. And, you know. um, right, like also, I remembered, I remembered what I was going to say to you. Um, <laughs> and it was, you were talking about the Marquis de Sade and good and evil and what came to my mind was that it's really difficult with characters like uh, Susie and Lim to say definitively that these people are evil or good because a case could be made in, in ways for both arguments right absolutely I mean I think that's you know as a as a reader as a film goer um you know as a person like i think I, I think people are complex and i think if people are complex then characters should be complex and uh i think one of the problems right now with art criticism and with storytelling and just with the way we treat other people in our everyday life is is lack of you know we have this like lack of empathy and this lack of understanding that people are complex and they live complex lives and people are going to make mistakes sometimes and um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. You know, there's there's no, um, you can't plunk, you know, either of those characters down entirely on, uh, you know, in the section of evil or the section of good. Um, I, I don't think you can do that if you actually, if you have empathy. I think it's, it's, it's muddy. I think it's somewhere in between. Well, yeah, yeah, I know I was incapable of doing that because it's like, you know, there were times I was like, oh, man, these people are rotten. And other times it's like <laughs> it's, it's the people that made them this way are the ones that are rotten, you know, and just kind of a catch 22 as far as you passing judgment on a character like that is virtually impossible. Right, right. I did like the um, the definitions that you had had one of your characters give at one point that when he was talking to when he says there are there are maggots and then there are builders and there are creators and that's i mean that's that's kind of an interesting dichotomy on it too because this is not a judgment about the good or evil of someone's actions it's about what are you know what are you creating what are you leaving behind mm -hmm. that's yeah that's a personal philosophy for me in terms of um you know community building and and how i interact with people and the people that i respect and look up to the people I respect and looked up to are the people who are out there supporting others who are trying to build things, um, whether it's, you know, creating art or whether it's, you know, building organizations or creating a podcast like you guys have, you know, doing things that are constructive, positive, um, you know, contributing uh, it to whereas I see other people in communities who have the opposite bend and to where they're more destructive to where whether it's, you know, um, finding, you know, chinks in other people's armor so they can try and tear them down, you know, uh, jumping on drama bandwagons or whatever, just to try to, 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 trying to basically add fuel to destructive fires rather than thinking of constructive solutions. So that was a little bit of like my personal um, ethos thrown in there to where it's, you know, we need more creators and builders. We need more leaders who are positive. We need less of people who are just kind of, trying to take everybody and everything down and, uh, you know, people who are trying to burn it all, so to speak. 
Yeah, there's, I mean, cause like you say, yeah, there's those people like that. I saw someone earlier talking about uh, being really proud of um, their run that they did today, and somebody else just comes in and starts destroying them about it. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, just, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's, a, you know, it's a bad, I really think that's a destructive side of online, con- contemporary online culture. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm just not a fan of that that aspect. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And, you know, it doesn't really tie too much into, I mean, it kind of does tie into true crime because of the quote that Laurel mentioned. But I, I agree with you. I feel like because people, you know, they may or may not use their, you know, real names, like, say, we'll just say Twitter, for instance. They might just come up with some kind of handle so you don't know who they are. And I feel like sometimes, not always, it kind of brings out the worst in people because they feel like they can use that to, you know, they can say whatever they want because they can hide behind, you know, this kind of persona that they've created. Yeah, the the anonymity, I think, that some people utilize online, you know, gives them, it's almost like people who, um, who like, rate, what is it called, have road rage, you know? Yeah. Because I think they feel like protected by their car and anonymous on the road. It's kind of like similar like that. But um, but yeah. Anyway, that's just the uh, the quote Laurel said just reminded me of that, and I, I did interject that a little bit into true crime. But in true crime, like you said, obviously it's more extreme. It's about you know people doing you know crimes and you know horrible things. So. Well, I thought it fit in well there, too, especially because there wasn't it, it wasn't as much of like a religious aspect of like, you know, I, there was another really great quote that was earlier on. It was she's talking about perhaps the part of my brain meant for talking with God was broken or deformed, you know, so it's it's kind of like he was giving her a way to look at that without having to make a decision about God, you know, and and anybody's role in that. So I thought I. I, I like that personal philosophy. <laughs> so I thought that was a good interjection in there. Thank you. So, um, yeah, um, kind of building off of the, the true crime thing. I know you've done like films and you say that kind of carries into your work. You co-founded the, uh, you co-founded a whole kind of festival. And I was just curious you know, are your passions like equal between film and writing or um, do you kind of gravitate towards one or the other? And uh, what kind of led you to start the festival? Um, so, uh, yeah, a couple of years ago, um, one of my close friends, Vanessa Ayanta Wright, who's a uh, film director and screenwriter, and I decided to start the Women in Horror Film Festival and um, we really just wanted to create a festival that would showcase and celebrate women genre filmmakers. Um, we, we sort of found an opening or a need for a festival that didn't just focus on the director role only. So we kind of created a, an inclusion-oriented festival to where it was about celebrating, you know, women genre cinematographers, composers, um, you know, uh, actors, uh, editors production designers, really all sorts of different aspects of creating films because, um, you know, several uh, women-oriented film festivals uh, focus more just on, like, the director and writer role. And we felt like there was sort of a gap there that we wanted to celebrate 
And so we created the festival. It was a great experience, honestly, the first year seeing how much support we had and just being there and, and meeting all of these like amazing women filmmakers um, was probably one of the most memorable uh, experiences for me in indie film. And I did it as a, as a co-founder um, and festival director for two years. And then I, for this past year, I stepped down as festival director. I stepped away from it um, just because it's so much work. It, running a film festival is a full-time job and it's, largely unless you're running a, a bigger like a higher tier festival like i'm talking you know like an s you know south by southwest uh sundance those types of festivals you know it's usually a volunteer like unpaid job so i had to step back from it so i could focus on writing so i could focus on film but vanessa is still actively running it and it's thriving it, it grew exponentially this year i can't imagine the colossal amount of work that would go into that though Shane, it's so much yeah. work. It's so much work. And I have to be honest, what gets what got me down, I don't want to focus on like a negative, but you run a festival, it's like I said, it's unpaid, right? So you're working all year to run this event, you know, to support your people. And you know what gets in the way is is people's egos. And sometimes people they do not take and they do not or you know, they're up they get upset that they didn't win a trophy, stuff like that. And um most people are awesome but man it's just one of those things to where it's like you get you get those four rude emails from people and you're just like man why am i doing this again you know it really does kind of eat away at you a little bit yeah i can i saw prime examples of that i worked as a bartender and a waiter for years and it's like yeah most people are awesome every now and then uh someone walks in and it's just set out to ruin your life for you <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, it, it happened. So, yeah, that was that was one side of it I didn't like was having every year to deal with that small percentage that just, you know, didn't want to be uh, polite, for lack of a better word. Yeah, and I know for me, a, part, a big part of it for me is is my age. I'm at that, you know, stand on stand in my bathrobe on my lawn and. Tell <laughs> So I don't I don't tolerate that kind of that kind of person very well anymore at all. I understand. Uh, It's like if I were a bartender now, I'd be the most poorly tipped bartender in the city. That's funny. And uh, two, uh, so Sam, I know, um, like from your bio, you it says you live in Pennsylvania. I grew up. I spent most of my life in Pennsylvania, and uh, I was just kind of curious how the horror scene is there for you because I didn't know this when I lived there, but it seems like there's kind of like a high concentration of horror authors that you know live in pennsylvania and i was just kind of curious you know what the literary scene was like if you had met other writers and you know if you you know kind of if there's like a kind of community that you interact with there no but i very much want to um (laughs) yeah because i know like brian Keene is my friend like i (laughs) 
I really, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I know there are many authors who live in Pennsylvania. Um, I really haven't had a chance to meet them or get to know them. Um, one that I have, uh, I've met a couple times is his name is Wes, Wesley Southard. Um, you know, but again, like, you know, I've only met him a couple of times and, you know, a lot of these people like we're friendly online. I just don't, we haven't had time to really like meet in person and, and hang out and that kind of stuff. So I very much, a lot of my film friends, a lot of my writing friends are not in Pennsylvania. And, you know, sometimes it is lonely. Like, I really wish there were, I really wish I were part of a local, like, horror or writing community here. Because living in rural central PA, it's tough sometimes, you know, to be a creative out here. Yeah. And like I said, I, I, where I grew up, I was more towards like the eastern part like towards uh philadelphia but even then like i had no idea like like you said uh wesley he's based out of there brian keen and a slew of other writers yeah yeah i actually had somebody message me like right when i got on twitter and um like when i joined twitter and somebody messaged me and, and said oh i see you're in pa how come like all the horror authors are in pa <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that that was news to me, too, because, like, you know, obviously, I think probably, like, New York City would probably be, like, the biggest. But, like, I had no idea because growing up where I did, like, even though I was closer to Philadelphia, I lived out in the suburbs. So, like, I had no idea. I thought everything about Pennsylvania was lame when I lived there. And it wasn't until I moved away that like, I kind of appreciated everything about it. That's really funny. I, yeah, I mean, I mostly, I like living here actually a lot. I just, it is hard to, I think, tap into those communities. Yeah. But even like, like here in the city of Portland, we have a ton of, uh, a ton of authors, not just in the city of Portland, but the state of Oregon, you know, and there's still, it doesn't seem like huge community, you know, it's like they don't all hang out together and, you know, right. <laughs> go out for beers and stuff, you know, and talk writing. And um, so, yeah, it's still, I think I've met maybe two or three writers in the city oh, out, wow. of, yeah. out of the hundreds that live here, you know, so. That's probably just my wishful thinking. Like, I kind of <laughs> wish, like, you know, everybody could just get together, have some beers, talk about writing, you know? Yeah. No, I, I have the same <laughs> wishful thinking. Like, it sounds, like, fun to me. I think it's probably just the way, part of it's probably, like, the way writers are, so that's feeding into a stereotype. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> you know... But I know for myself, even, like, I'm a huge introvert, you know, and I like small gatherings and things like that, so it might be part yeah. of that. It's kind of funny you say that because I can't speak for Laurel, but I know myself and Shane, like, we're definitely like that, too. Like, I'm surprised we can even host a podcast, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I literally take medication before I start the podcast. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm on the introvert couch with you guys. That's definitely... That's 
Yeah, I, like, you know, finding a bunch of other authors, and I'm like, I am in Kentucky. I'm sure they're here, <laughs> that they're writing about birds and horses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always like to ask people that, but um, like, you know, who are from different areas, especially if it doesn't seem like it might have that big of a scene, but. It's kind of funny because, like you said, a lot of us are introverts. But the one good thing is that, you know, especially on, like, Twitter, there's, like, a huge community and everyone seems supportive. And I was just kind of wondering, I don't know if you're, like, new to, like, horror Twitter, but how has that been? Because I know there's been a lot of great response to true crime on there. And I wasn't sure if maybe people interacted with you about it on there. Yeah, so there has been, um, I have to say, I'm really impressed and grateful for um, the the Twitter community and also the Instagram, um, in parentheses, Bookstagram um, community. Both of those have just been so supportive. I mean, I, like I said, when I finished this thing, I didn't think, I, I'm not joking, like I really didn't think anybody would read it. And then when, it, you know, I got a few ARC, you know, requests, I say ARC, a few ARC requests. I was like, oh, okay, cool. A few people will read it. Well, I don't know if they'll like it. You know, that was where my brain, my neurotic brain went next. But then, you know, I it seemed like it was just a snowball effect and everybody was so supportive and so many people asked to read it. Um, and not only did they read it, but then afterwards they've been promoting it. So many people on Instagram have made these gorgeous photos of the book. Like they've made it look way nicer than I could because I'm not really like a photographer. And um I'm just, imp- I'm impressed. Like that bookstagram stuff is an art in like unto itself. Like these layouts they do with books. It's really cool. Um, so yeah, it's just been, it's been awesome. I mean, the horror community, I've, I've been a fan of the horror community for, for years. The horror community honestly is like a family to me. Like they have been, yeah. my friends in, in the horror community that I've made are my closest friends and they have been there for me when other people who you would think would be there for you haven't been like I I have mad love for the horror community and I'm really glad uh to get to now be a part of the horror writing community too it's kind of remarkable too the the way that it's kind of like uh Trisha Meerkat Press they've been publishing speculative fiction for quite a while now but they just really recently started publishing horror and she said the other day online, it just amazes her how supportive the horror community is uh, to each other and to their writers and, you know, publishers and whatnot than virtually any other community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good time to be in horror right now. I agree. So what do you... As far as uh, fiction goes, anything coming down the pike again? Yeah, I, I am working on a, a second book. I've had like four creative false starts. So I've had like four second books that I've started and then I decided were garbage and <laughs> threw them into a folder. Um, so, but I think this is the one <laughs> that I've been working on. Um, and I'm. Uh, not really going to say much about it other than I'm working on it and I'm a really slow writer. So maybe in like two years I'll have it finished. So 
<laughs> no, I, I dig that though. I, I can totally yeah. see how it took two years to write through crime because, I mean, it, there's a lot there's a lot of complexity to the people in that book, and I can see why it would have taken a, a good amount of time. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I could have probably if I had had you know more focus and stuff. I think part I think writing now. Um, in long form prose is going to not get easier, but I think I'll, um, I don't know how to express this. Like, I feel a little bit more confident now that I've completed finally like a long form, um, fiction to where it's like, okay, now I know I can do this. And that scope doesn't intimidate me as a writer so I think I probably will be a little bit quicker with the second work than I was with the first. Yeah. You know what process we're using for it, too. Yeah. So. Yeah. Laura, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, what about you, Laura? Like, when you wrote your first book, like, did you did you have that same, like, kind of, I don't know, what was that like for you? You know, do you know what I mean, what I'm getting at? Like, <laughs> yeah, Oh, I, yeah. No, I totally do. And I'm. <laughs> Um, I kind of giggle when you, you know, when you're saying, oh, it took two years to write this. It took nine years for me to get. Oh, okay. That makes me feel better. <laughs> like, <I'm okay>. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, it's one of those things that takes as long as it takes, you know, but, um, but no, I'm, I'm with you. It's like once that was completed and out the door, then it's like, I really felt like, I felt like I knew how to start you know, on the next one. And, and like, like you said, you know, you felt like you had these false starts, but the really cool thing is identifying when that's a false start and not wasting a whole lot of time on it, you know, and just saying, okay, I can see why this isn't going to work and I'm going to toss it, but never throw it away, you know, stuff it in the folder and go back you know, to later if you want to. But yeah, absolutely. That's it, it definitely confidence building as you go. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. That, that makes me feel a little bit better and not like I'm not, weird <laughs> <laughs> two years is good <laughs> that's like a sprint right there well done <laughs> see yeah that's a, i write so slow that i kind of you went oh i wrote it in two years and i thought impressive yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's funny and uh, just kind of curious, um, do you kind of gravitate more towards shorter fiction or longer fiction? Like when you write? I think shorter, just because shorter. that's what I've done more of. Um, and then now, even even what I'm working on now, I think it'll be a short novel. You know, I don't think it'll be, you know, a thick epic or anything like that. So, um I think shorter. I don't, you know. That's yeah, I, oh, files, oh. I think. But I, it would not be an episode if we didn't interrupt each other, Shane. So, do you want to um, actually, that was me this time. That was actually. Oh, it. <laughs> now it's all fucking four of us. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Laura. Um, oh, yeah, I was just going to say, I, I think from a marketing standpoint, that seems to be a real sweet spot, like the novella, you know, shorter type novel, because with the indie presses, it's it's a it's a better price point. Um, and it seems I don't know, that just seems to be like a really a really good sweet spot 
on the length. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. And it's a colossally functional form for uh, horror fiction. It's like the novella and short novel were custom designed for the horror genre, it feels like. You know, I mean, I love I love big epic books. Yeah. You know, don't get me wrong, I do, but uh, the novella is just. I'm just sitting there talking to my fucking dead mic. I was like, "Wow, I think I lost them." <laughs> I thought it was me. I, I thought I, I thought everyone was talking, but I lost it. This awkward <laughs> silence brought to you by <laughs> Shane Douglas King. But <laughs> I just like asking that question because I always kind of like to see how different writers like approach it and if they like one more than the other. Cause like, you know, I'm no expert by any means, but of the things that I have written, like I always tend to like, my stories tend to like go towards like the upper ranges of things. And, um, like some people, they really like doing shorter stuff. And I always kind of like just asking writers and kind of hearing their reasons for like why they might gravitate towards, you know, one format or another. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm also kind of living in jealousy over here because I don't ever seem to be able to write anything that's less than some ridiculous monstrosity. So I'm kind of like, you know, you can be jealous of each other because it's, you know, I, I haven't written anything that's, you know, longer than true crime. So well, yeah. you know, <laughs> just going to be <laughs> for something if you actually get done with and get out the door. So. And I think you know every every author has strengths that speak to their style too, you know, or vice versa, yeah. you know. And and I mean, a story is like I think well, one of you two said earlier, um, a story is as long as it needs to be. You know, so I think Laurel said that when you were talking about yeah. crime starting out as a short story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I definitely think different styles um, lend themselves to different lengths and, and vice versa, for sure. Yeah, I thought this, I thought this came into that being exactly as long as it, you know, uh, it was just well edited. Exactly, just was exactly as long as I think it needed to be. So, awesome. I'll be looking forward to what you have coming up next. That's exciting. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you for reading. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I had that big long pause there before Laurel started talking because I was worried I was going to step all over her again. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, any any other exciting news you want to share with us, Sam, before we let you get back to your life and stop dealing with us bozos and Laurel? Uh, no, no, this has been wonderful. Are you getting you guys call yourselves bozos? What about me? I've jabbered so much about random things. Um, I uh, no, this was great. Thank you so much for having me. I do not have any exciting news. Um, other than the book coming up. So, uh, yeah, that's that's about it. I, re I really yeah. appreciate you guys having me on the podcast tonight. Um, 
that really means a lot and uh i just really appreciate it so thank you um it's been our pleasure and uh that for anybody who's listening it is super exciting news that true crime is coming because you really really want to read that book um yes you do I have to say that next time I would very much like to just sit here and listen to Laurel and Sam talk because you guys had a lot more interesting shit to say. Than we did. <laughs> Laurel and I start a podcast. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <There you> go. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Either that, or we can just rename this one to Two Bros <laughs> and Laurel. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah thanks okay. again. um are you gonna go to scares that care this year i yeah i really hope to go i don't have a table there i think they sold out but i'll just go and buy people's books so <laughs> cross country high five i'll see you there Oh, okay. Awesome. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Should we, should we end now? Is that what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have, yeah, we don't have, like, we don't have like, one. I think that may be the best one we've ever had. Right yeah. now. <laughs> Is this fucking thing over here? <laughs> yeah. Shane and I have not mastered the art of ending these. Yeah. <laughs> At least gracefully, anyway. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, well, I hope you all have a great night. Thanks, and uh, uh, thanks for being here, man. Take it Thank easy. Thank you. Good to see you. Yep. Bye. <laughs>